Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. Yes, we were off a week, but stuff happened. Yeah, stuff happened. It was your birthday. It was my birthday. So, you know, apparently, and I didn't know this, <laughs> apparently it was in the contract that we could not record because of her birthday. Better yet, I didn't even know that there was a contract. Well, that was because you were not part of the contract negotiations. I, you know, I, I'm not even sure you were part of the contract <laughs> negotiations. But I get my birthday off. <laughs> I thought you were going with the, that you didn't realize that in the contract was that we don't actually spend my birthday together very often. Um, for years, it was you traveling for my birthday, and now it's me traveling for my birthday. Well, you were home for your birthday. I was home for my actual birthday. See? But... The next day I left. Yeah. My birthday plus one. I left. Okay. And then I was gone. But, you know, we did have a race this weekend. We did? Um, it was just a, just a touch more exciting than a race at Paul Ricard. It wasn't that bad. We never have good races in Sochi. Well, okay, but for a Sochi race, <clears throat> it was amazing. That's the bar not... is really low. Uh-huh. But there was stuff that happened. Laps were finished. Laps were finished. We had a virtual safety car for 30 seconds. It was not even 30 seconds, was it? <laughs> we watched them replace styrofoam bollards. Yeah. That was fun. Um, although who took the tape measure and measured the distance with those bollards? I mean, all seriousness, that looked like it was a hair and a half wider than a F1 car. Everybody Car hit the thing. Carlos Sainz says that, um, he feels that really they should just do away with turn two at that track because it is too much of a problem mm -hmm. between the issue with the bollards, between the tight fit for the bollards and the rule that if you are the slightest hair off the track you have to go through the bollards right and you know in, in as much as we're jumping ahead a little bit it, it really made no sense to me that the penalty for daniel ricardo there was no possible chance that he could have made that turn to get through the bollards yeah and then to and and thankfully it they didn't take any action to actually decide that they were going to review Roman Grosjean actually driving through the bollards. <laughs> it wouldn't have happened if he wasn't trying to comply with the rule. Right. That's like turning around and going, well, you know, we think we're going to go and give Carlos Sainz a five-second penalty for hitting the wall on his way through the bollard. I know. Uh, um. We had very overactive stewards in this race. Well, we did, and and actually, we'll we'll we'll, we'll loop back to that. Okay. Well, let let's do that. We'll loop back to that. So you want to start with like the big news? The big news. The big news. That that there's a new boss in town. Yeah. Okay. That Ferrari once again <coughs> has named a boss of F1. Ouch. Oh, was I not supposed to go there? We just um, ended our Ferrari contract, didn't we? Yeah, we did. But, <sighs> yeah. Um, 
actually Mattia just texted me and said that uh, the the loaner the, the press car that that we were scheduled to get canceled. Well, the problem was that that was a Fiat. Hey, it was still a press car. <laughs> yeah, it was a pressed car. No, <laughs> no, you know, it was a pressed car. It was really, really flat, and it was a Fiat. It actually wasn't. It was going to be an Alpha. No, it was going to be the nice Alpha. No. Yes. It was not. It was going to be a 1970s Alpha that needed a whole lot of repair that you're not a gearhead unless you've owned one. Either way, we're now not getting it. Well, I'm sorry. It's your but fault. It is not my fault. Is it not a true statement that Ferrari has yet again put someone in the top seat of F1? Okay, before we get to, to even that piece of it. <laughs> so, in a very well-timed announcement, Lamborghini announced, and, and it was carefully timed, Lamborghini announced that um, Stefano Domenicali, their CEO, was leaving the organization as their CEO. Um, he was leaving their organization to take on a, quote, new and prestigious professional role from January 2021. Oh. And a few minutes later, Formula One announced that um, Chase Carey was going to be stepping down in January 2021 and would be replaced by uh, Stefano Domenicali. I'm shocked. I mean, how did they work out the coordination of those two announcements? It's amazing. (laughs) I mean, it's like they planned it. (laughs) So if you're not familiar with Stefano Domenicali, um, he is very much a for as much as... He, he is coming to Formula One from Lamborghini, a, a fairly, well, a neighbor of, of Ferrari and a bit of a competitor. It's not that far. It's about a 40-minute drive. Okay. I know. I did it. In a but, Fiat Panda. I was going to say, not in a Lamborghini. <laughs> in the world, the fastest car in the world. A rented Fiat Panda. <laughs> going downhill with a tailwind. <laughs> 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 anyway so how was finding reverse in that car um i'm glad it was rental car <laughs> <laughs> just just suggesting that it's a rental car uh-huh we well, can get a bill for a burned out clutch it's not an issue <laughs> was fixed under warranty therefore it was free oh i'm not going there although i i will admit oh, that for burn. yeah for for two months i was watching the mail pretty religiously to see if we were going to get a bill for a replacement clutch on a fiat band <laughs> <laughs> really did expect that <laughs> somebody else must have burned it out so anyway stefano domenicali is um he came up his almost his entire professional career at Ferrari. Mm-hmm. Um, he was part of the team with Jean Todd and Ross Braun when Ferrari had its true glory years. And Stefano Domenicali was in charge of, he was the team, he, he was the actual team principal. Mm-hmm. Um, up until what, 2013, 2014? I believe it was 2014 because I think the last race he was at was Bahrain, where there was that great duel between um, Lewis and Nico Rosberg, and they kept repeating 
Domenicali's words before the race, bemoaning that Formula One had gotten boring and it was just taxi driving. Yes, yes. And yet, he's now in charge of all the taxis. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so he he left uh, for Ferrari and Formula One to go to Audi for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then took over as the, the CEO of Lamborghini. But he's also been the head of the FIA's single seat racing commission. Oh, okay. So he, he he's kept his hands in there. And apparently all the, the team bosses really like him. Even when he was at Ferrari, all the team bosses really liked him. Apparently in all the interviews, everybody is all excited that he's taken the job. They are. You know, Christian Horner said that uh, it's great for the sport. He's one of the good guys, having competed against him when he was the team principal of Ferrari. Had a lot of integrity. He was a racer and a competitor, and he understands the business. Obviously, he spent life in the commercial world outside of F1 the last few years. Done a great job at Lamborghini, and I think he'll be a great asset to F1. Um, He said that he believed that Domenicali would be scrupulous in his impartiality uh, in the role. Um, he said, you look at the makeup of the top end of the sport, Jean Todd, Ross Braun, and Stefano, and it looks like a mid-90s or early 2000s Ferrari setup. But I don't think there's any particular bias or love towards Ferrari from any of those individuals, you know, other than the fact that they still have veto rights. Yeah. Um <clears throat> But he did say he's a great guy. We raced head to head against him Ooh. from <laughs> against him for the 2010 and 12 championships, and he always had an awful lot of integrity. He was a gentleman, and he'll be an asset for the sport and an asset for liberty. He's got that understanding, and I think that as the sport evolves, he'll bring a lot to it. Um, Andrea Seidel also speaking really well, and Cyril Abitbull, all of them really are happy about this. One of the comments that was made, and, and we'll actually we're going to talk about that in a second, but one of the comments that was made is that in terms of coming up with gimmicks to make the racing more exciting, that's something that would not appeal to Stefano. Good. He might get my loyalty if he's anti-gimmick. I mean, we'll, we'll see if there is actual favoritism to Ferrari. Although, to tell you the truth, if I remember correctly, when Stefano left in 2014 and, and Fernando was still there, the team was struggling. Not as bad as it's struggling now. But I don't think that he left happy. Hmm. Well. Now, he was replaced by Maurizio Rivabene. Mm-hmm. Which also seemed weird that we're going to get the tobacco executive in to do that. As much as Maurizio had been around. Well, he had, but he also did some really cool marketing things for that team that needed to happen. Every once in a while. Until it didn't get better and then he ran away. Well, that's everyone's at Ferrari's game plan. It gets better until it doesn't get better and then they run away. And they go on a gardening leave. Um, (laughs) I mean, that's the Ferrari way. Okay. So, in terms of gimmicks, mm-hmm. um, the drivers have been talking about the the recently refloated idea of reverse grids. Well, I know that they have been because they've been texting me. 
Well, that's okay. I, I, I was trying to get into the GPDA um, WhatsApp channel, and they wouldn't let me in. Oh, you, you might want to drop my name. I'll, I'll, I'll do what I can. The, the, the drivers like me. They okay. know I'm very pro-driver. Really? Um, yeah. I, 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 I fight for the little man and, you know, pro-driver, and thus they, they like me. They've been texting me and talking about and getting my opinion on the reverse grids because they know that I have They've an opinion. They've been texting you. They have. Really? Yes. J- just like you, you spoke to Lewis the other day. He was right here in our studio. No, I was talking about the phone call. No, I spoke... Who are you and how did you get this number? No, I spoke to <laughs> Lewis's people. Um, not Lewis. He mm. was busy. Okay. He has He has causes that keep him very, very busy. But his people are very, very sweet. They don't mind when I call ever. Um, the time difference is a little weird to figure out, and so sometimes it's in the middle of the night. But they've hardly ever cussed at me. Hardly ever. Hardly ever. <laughs> I, go, I go back to who are you and how did you get this number? I'm not telling, but his name might be Roman. Um, Ouch. Anyway, anyway the, so the drivers have been expressing their opinions on the reverse good racing they're not really in support of it i know i told you so daniel ricard yes he says i'm just worried if we add it in an artificial way and mix up the field and every driver is then getting an f1 win does the value of an f1 win hold what it does today i think that's where it's going to be that fine line and that balance that's my kind of reservation it's tough because we want more exciting races, but it's still F1, and I think everyone holding the big trophy, it should hold a certain level of value, and maybe that would be diminished somewhat with a reverse grid. Okay. Well, I see his point, but isn't the thought that if you had a reverse grid that still the best driver on the best day with the best car would still win? That would be the hope. Really, again, I th- and a couple of drivers said that, you know, we'd be kind of okay with it if it didn't replace a race. Well, no, because they're talking about the reverse sprint race for qual- for pulp- for the positioning. And, and from what I heard, the ones that kind of were okay with it were the ones who, who they kind of liked my idea that I floated a, a couple of weeks ago of you have your qualifying as normal. But then you have a reverse grid race where the grid is set based on the reverse of qualifying. And then you still have your Sunday race where the grid is based on qualifying. So like the reverse grid sprint would be maybe like half points? Something along those lines, yeah. So there's still an incentive to do well in the reverse grid race but it's not superseding the main events. Almost, it's almost like um, the track and field event where it's the, where you do like the 10 events. Decathlon? Yeah, that one. I'm having a moment. Apparently. Anyway, it's like the decathlon in that you have you you could almost like highlighting the skills of the car like can the car get set up to do really fast in 
qualifying? Can it pass and weave its way through the grid? That would be the reverse. Well, and, and, and that's... that's So that's why I'm making that connection. It's and, and, like, and that's what folks, the, the folks who support it, they want to put out there is this idea that the teams need to set the cars up differently for these races. The drivers need to pull out completely different skills. You know, going back to years ago where folks used to say that Sebastian Vettel was a crappy racer and that all he would do was get out into the front and and lead and he didn't know how to pass any cars or anything like that. Well, this takes that argument in theory away Mm -hmm. of it puts that, it, it forces those faster drivers to have to show that they are a well-rounded driver, that they can pass, that they can defend more often. And it gives, you know, somebody like George Russell, who's typically, unfortunately, at the back of the grid and not facing a lot of challengers, it potentially would mean that he would have experience defending and change all of those aspects and give you more insight into how these drivers perform. So it's really almost like an F1 obstacle course. Well, yeah. You have challenges that highlight, you know, skills and setup. Now, here's the thing. If you have to set up the car differently for a reverse grid sprint race, you need to pull away the Park Ferme rules between qualifying and the race, or you have to return them to the qualifying setup. And the reason I say that is you need to give people the best opportunities to be able to win both all of those events that would be one of the questions as well of do you actually do that or do you try and set up do teams try and and compromise in terms of the demands of both of those types of races well here's the thing this is what i'm going to tell you the sprint race in a reverse grid that's for half points it's going to take a boffin about 10 minutes to realize that those points matter to about four people on the grid. And the top teams who are sitting on pole either aren't even going to participate because why risk well, the damage to the car? Why risk the setup for the main event where they're going to get the big points? Or they're going to just, they're not going to, you're, you're not going to get the racing that you really expect. And that's what I keep cautioning people to understand is you put these gimmicks in, they never work out the way you think they're going to work out. There's definitely that. Um, But they're all, none of the drivers really like this idea. You know, Sergio Perez said, I saw a comment from Toto Wolf on this, that he said that Formula One is not WWE. I agree. I think the problem Formula One has is the differences across the teams. They're working hard to fix that for 2022, and hopefully that happens. I don't think Formula One needs such an artificial thing to mix the race. I don't think if you win a race on a reverse grid, it's going to be the same feeling as getting a Grand Prix victory. I don't think that's a good idea for the sport. Max Verstappen, I don't like it. It's just artificial in trying to create a show, which I think is not what Formula One stands for. It's not my thing. The fastest car should be in the front. That's what everyone works for, so why would you try and manipulate the show? And at the end of the day, probably cars will end up in that position anyway, but it's just not what Formula One is about. It needs to be about pure performance, and that's what you work for. You want to be the most dominant and competitive team out there, and you want to start on the first row. Mm -hmm. 
And the other drivers, similar comments. So the drivers are against it, but what drivers are kind of intrigued by, and it was an idea that was first floated by Red Bull and Christian Horner. Mm-hmm. Um, teams are interested in this, and it sounds like at least some of the drivers are. Um, heard from a few that that they kind of like this idea and that's it looking at the calendar because one of the things and admittedly we've only had the one race so far but one of the things that happened this year is with the calendar getting thrown into a tizzy the way it did we've got tracks that either formula one hasn't been to at all ever or they haven't been to in a really long time and Red Bull floated out the idea of what about a calendar rotation? What about basically an invitational race where there is at least once a year a track that that Formula One hasn't been to in a really long time? Mm. The teams don't. And, and honestly, I and, and I think we mentioned this. I didn't think that we got a great race out of, out of Mugello. Yes, it was an eventful race. I mean, we, we had all the red flags, and there was that. But in terms of the actual racing that went on, kind of mm. sucked. Yeah. Not quite as bad as, as Russia, but it wasn't great. Mm-hmm. Um, but the drivers enjoyed it. And the teams enjoyed it, especially because it was a new challenge for them. There was no date on Yes, some of the drivers have driven it before, but they'd never driven it in a modern Formula One car. The teams didn't know how the cars were going to handle. You know, there was a lot of questioning. Was it going to be easy to pass on there? Was it going to be hard? You know, all of those various things. So it's this idea of let's go to new tracks where the teams don't have all of this data. Yeah. And you don't need to do it for the whole season, but at least for one or two races a year, go somewhere different. And well, and that would be a great way of expanding Formula One to the masses because you could go into a country that can't afford necessarily to commit to a long-term contract or is trying to increase interest in having a race and you could go in do a a special event and then pop back out it it Mm -hmm. also could balance some costs depending on where they are yeah potentially so some of the the tracks that have been proposed for this idea so far um a return to malaysia okay which maybe i I could see that um instead as much as we're going to algarve in a couple of weeks um really where formula one used to go was uh esterol Mm -hmm. outside of lisbon Mm-hmm. It was a very popular race. Still have their grade one certification. Nice. Um, Haref has been pitched out there as another possibility. Um, had the, the, the last race uh, that Formula One had there was in, I think, 1997 as a season finale. And it actually had um, a collision between uh, Villeneuve and, and Schumacher that decided the world championship. Oh, wow. The other one that was floated was Fuji. Oh. And, and honestly, as much as we hear about how big Formula One fans the Japanese are, that's one of the places that I don't understand why we don't have more than one race. Yeah. 
It makes sense. So I want to see the hats. I love going to Japan for the hats. Yeah. But, you know, interesting. interestingly, nobody said Korea. <laughs> nobody said India. Mm. Nobody I, said Indy. Nobody said... Well, so that's not entirely true. Oh. Well, they didn't propose it for this. Okay. But if you recall in our last show, it was floated out there that, you know... It would be really nice if, if Formula One returned to Indy. Mm. And we mocked that incessantly. That was kind of my point. Yeah. But, I mean, I like the concept. It's almost uh, an expansion of the concept of the Nürburgring um, Hockenheim trade off. To some extent, yeah. To some extent, yeah. Now, what, what I really wonder, and, and, and I think the reason why it worked this year. And, and that we have not seen something like this before is, remember, race promoters typically pay Formula One for the privilege of hosting a race, unless you're Monaco. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing that for the new Grand Prix that we have had this year, especially given the short period of time that there was and the fact that, that fans were not necessarily allowed, although I hear um, Portugal, they're... they're Tickets or sales have been crazy. Turkey. Turkey. Yeah. Ticket sales have been crazy. I'm kind of wondering if Formula One is paying to go to these tracks as opposed to the tracks paying them. I wouldn't necessarily be surprised. 2020 is a weird year. And, you know, my question is for what the commercial deals would look like to do that, to host mm-hmm. these races. Would Formula One be willing to pay to have these events? You know, how, how do you properly assess the fee structure to make this work? Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of questions to it that they'd have to work out. But this is a lot less gimmicky than reverse grids. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I'll call the drivers and we'll we'll start working on I, I the see movement. a lot more benefits in doing this than so much of the other stuff that they have proposed in the past. And tried. Mm-hmm. I'll call. I'll call my buds. Okay. We'll, we'll get a movement started. I, you know, I would start with Alex Wartz. I, I definitely. I, I need to make better contact with him. He called. He left a message. We've been playing phone tag. It's not good. Mm, okay. I, well, he's just so busy. Well, he's designing tracks. I know. So, the the question. About driver lineups that's, that's sitting out there right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry. I do not believe that there is any question as to whether or not Lewis Hamilton is going to be driving a Mercedes next year. He's going to sign the contract. And Eddie Jordan has been off the wall in the last couple of weeks. Oh, my. So his, his latest ones, and this isn't even so much a prediction. This is his recommendations, which it, it, it it's more like the... Well, I'm going to throw this out there because people are going to listen because some folks are going to go, yeah, we really think he should do that. Eddie Jordan threw out there that Lewis Hamilton should go to Red Bull. A, that's not Red Bull's program. Well, yeah. B, why would he do that? Because the two quote-unquote most exciting drivers on the grid would be in the same car side-by-side competing against each other. But the and car really isn't as strong as the Mercedes that he's got now. Well, there's that. And Lewis is not going to do that. Yeah. 
Red Bull wouldn't take him if Lewis got a wild hair and decided to do it. And at the end of the day, I think he really likes driving with Valtteri. And I, although I think Valtteri is starting to chap a little bit at that, I think he likes that combination. You know, I don't think Valtteri is. No? And and the only reason why is because every every year that they've been paired together, that it started off where it looked like Valtteri was going to um, make a real push for the championship. By the time we get to about this point in the season, you see Valtteri get a bit snippy. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, you know... It could just be normal Valtteri snippy at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know he's it's, been on a diet for the entire season, so maybe he's hungry. Well, it's just general frustration. Hand him a Snickers. Okay. Um, but the the other question, the, the really the only question left about driver lineups, is over at Haas. Because I don't think anybody really cares what's happening over at, at uh, Alfa Romeo right now. Sorry, but... Well, the only reason they care about that is whether or not Kimmy's going to stay or not. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I got to say, my odds are that both of the drivers are out the door. Uh-huh. I don't think... I, I think the, the shine is off Kevin Magnuson over there. And we know that they're fed up with Roman. Yeah. I mean, um, that's what Gunther told me when he called me to interview me for the job. Did he now? He did. I The past two weeks, you have seen me on the phone every evening doing work stuff. What work stuff do you think I'm doing? I'm calling all of these guys. I'm chatting with them. I got people. Things are moving. Well, Roman says... That he, oh, if he says Roman. he does not call me, he is so wrong. No, Roman says that if he loses his seat this year... He has options elsewhere. And for those of you following at home, elsewhere is outside Formula One. I was going to say, it's an IndyCar. Actually, no. He has specifically said that he would not go to IndyCar. Really? The reason why is because of the ovals. Mm, he's scared of the ovals? Yeah. He, he freely admits that he's not interested in racing, racing ovals. He's kind of scared by the prospect of racing on ovals. So IndyCar is not an option for him. Um, he did throw out um, Formula E. He said, you know, a lot of drivers from Formula One have moved over there. Um, but uh, he's also mentioned uh, World Supercars and I think, or, or Hypercar and, and WEC mm. is the areas that he's talking about. Um, Kevin says that he's looking at everything right now and open to everything. And as you'll recall, Magnuson, when he was let go, well, he wasn't fully let go from uh, McLaren at that point. I think they, they, they dragged their feet and they kept him as a reserve driver. It was looking like he was going to make the jump to IndyCar a couple years ago. Right. So he says he's looking everywhere. Okay. Well, I think with Groschan's history, he might want to look at British um, German touring car. I think he's driven in... in, in in touring cars, I think he, I think he should. He he's got the 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 smashy down. Wow. Well, I don't think DTM is as bad as British touring cars. Maybe British touring cars is where he should go. I thought German touring cars are pretty smashy. Touring car in general, smashy. Yeah. Okay. But, um, Gunther does say, and and I I kind of disagree with him, 
But he says that picking up Sergio Perez for one of their seats is not the no-brainer it appears to be. Oh. I question that. Maybe they don't want Carlos Slim money. Well, I'm not so sure about that, though. I would think that the team would want that money. And that's that's why I question that. Between the fact that, one, he comes with a ton of money. And two, you're an American team, or at the very least, a North American team. Having a Mexican driver driving on that team, right now, that's the closest you're going to get to an American driver. And you're going to get a pretty decent driver out of that. I think there's some gotchas in Gene's mind about that. There might be. There, there, there very well might be. Um, but I think in terms of building the fan base for the team and, and, and that from, from that perspective, it would make sense to me. Now, the other names that have been floated out there, um, obviously Nico Hulkenberg has been floated out, but the other one, and, and this one I, I heard in passing today, and it caught my attention, but in a way it kind of makes sense. Mick Schumacher. Yeah, he's getting a big name, and that's, he's, they're starting to talk about him on the F1 feed, you know, with the pre-shows and stuff about what Mm -hmm. he's doing in F2, and that movement is happening. I think his people are definitely floating his name to come on up. Well, Ferrari has said that, you know, if, if the opportunity presents itself, they want to put Mick in one of their cars. So in terms of growing and developing, if the determination was there that it was time to move him into Formula One and that's the next stage of his driver development, I could see him going to either Alpha or to Haas. Mm-hmm. Um, the question I would have is, does that come with money? Mm. I don't know if he's, I mean, I would assume he's got some of the same sponsorship that his dad had. Um, but also I would assume since he's part of the, the Ferrari driver Academy and Ferrari has pledged a degree of support into his career, does it come with additional money from Ferrari? I don't know. That would be interesting. I don't know. Yeah. But I know that there's a huge push to get him pulled up to F1. And honestly, my theory, my, my little conspiracy theory is that there's a push possibly to move Mick up faster than he should be because the hope is to have a a Schumacher-Hamilton battle. I don't know about that. Not the least of which is from what I have heard about his performance, he's at least not now at the level of his father. Right, and, and but it's I think not that's even clear. Pushing. It's not even clear that he's on the level of Ralph. Mm. Um, I, I have a feeling that what you will see is somebody who's about on par with Ralph Schumacher, um, but not on par with with Michael. And honestly, if I was Mick, I wouldn't want to come up until I was a little bit better than Ralph. I don't know if he sees it that way, though. Probably not. But, you know, there's a lot of people that seem to think that, you know, capitalizing on the Schumacher name is equals success in F1. It does. It does. And, and you know, we've fallen victim to similar trends. Let's let's go back to McLaren Honda. And 
<laughs> Let's let, uh, you know. I'm I'm willing to admit that. But we mocked the idea that Honda would bring a new uh, world championship title to back to McLaren. That that was going to happen. Yeah. Well, and and we still are. Yes. Still has not happened, Ron Dennis. We're still waiting. Yeah. I wonder how Ron is doing these days. He, he's cleaning the dust off of his bookcase. Speaking of McLaren, though, mm-hmm. you know, w- with all that we have heard in the last couple of months about copycat designs and copying, <laughs> go back onto your DVR and take a close look at the nose of Lando Norris's McLaren. Does he have a Pinocchio nose? Possibly. Take a look at it in comparison to the nose on the front of the Racing Point and the Mercedes. The 2020 Mercedes or the 2019 Racing Point? Yes. So Compare the similarities. But no, we're not copying. Well... Oh, and by the way... They're tweaking. On Friday in Mugello, Carlos Sainz was actually the first one to run that nose. <laughs> well. But copying is bad. We don't like copying. How, how could anybody copy? We are shocked. Shocked, I tell you, that folks are copying car designs. Because it never happens. Yeah. Remember, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Yeah. Except that, you know, Formula One says you shouldn't do it. And that's ever stopped anybody. <laughs> well, actually, um, the FIA is trying to stop something. Okay. Um, so, as you'll recall, at the end of the Tuscan Grand Prix in Mugello, Lewis Hamilton donned a t-shirt. Yes. And he wore it also before the race, too. Mm-hmm. Um Specifically, it's the shirt you've seen people in the States uh, wearing around uh, Breonna Taylor's death. Um, The FIA was not particularly happy that he wore that shirt. Um, Not so much at pre-race. Apparently, they didn't have a problem with that. But the fact that he put it on for the podium ceremony. That apparently was an issue. Mm. Now, he didn't get fined for it. However, as a result of this, the FIA has made two very important changes to driver attire and the rules around it at the podium. And not just at the podium, but in all of the post-race press coverage, the press conference, the um, pen interviews, all of that. So number one is t-shirts will not be allowed. Okay. And the FIA, they had to thread kind of a, a fairly fine line here. Because they've encouraged some level of this type of behavior in the past. Mm -hmm. But they've also been making the move around diversity and equality and stomping down on this while at the same time saying, but look at our equality program and we race as one. It was kind kind of a mixed message. But what they've come out and they've said outright, you can't wear any t-shirts. But the other thing that they have cracked down on, and they said that drivers must not do anymore, is that 
they are not allowed to attend the podium ceremony or any of the press coverage, the, 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 the pen interviews, or the post-race press conference with their race suit half unzipped and tucked down around their waist. Oh, wow. Their requirement is that they are to remain in their race suit with their race suit fully zipped up. Wow. Yeah. It's been, and we see a lot of drivers do that. Lewis Hamilton has done it all the time. Yeah, I was going to say, a lot we've, of drivers. we've watched them during the the right after the race interview, now that they don't do that on the podium, watched him like totally, you know, stripping down. Mm-hmm. Because my understanding is those suits are hot. What I suspect is going to happen is, as you recall, especially in, in the warmer races, they've got those cooling vests with mm. all the logos and everything. What I suspect is going to happen is that, especially at the warmer races, drivers are going to go into the, the cool-down room or wherever immediately following the race, put on that vest, and then close their race suit up over it. Yeah. To help cool them down and regulate that temperature is what I think is going to end up happening. That's wild. But on the other hand, I understand. It was a really crappy look. It it was. It really was. The other thing that they have said is not included in this. And, And the requirement is that drivers, as long as there is a need for it, will continue to wear them is the the appropriate face masks. So that is not included in the change of these rules. The drivers still should be wearing them. And if there is no longer a need for them, they won't have to wear them. But So do you think that Lewis's political message will now be moved to his face mask? Um, well, let me look at what they said here. All it says is for the avoidance of doubt, this includes a medical face mask or team branded face mask. So unless the team changes the branding. Oh, okay. So I don't think he will be allowed to do that. Okay. So we shall see. So, race this weekend. <laughs> it it really was a dull race. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there were a couple of moments at the tail end of the grid. Yeah. A couple of moments, in, and even not much in the mid-pack. There were a couple of moments. But other than that, there was no interest, no drama. First lap safety car. Not just the first lap safety car, but what struck me, and, and I don't know if this is a function of the track or some of the, the lingering after effects of the massive wreck that we had on restart in uh in Mugello but what I noticed was that restart very quick almost instantly when the safety car went away the field strung out Mm -hmm. and it strung out a lot I mean there was really once everyone picked up speed there was no real racing or anything at the back of the grid you had um Albon swapping position once or twice but that was it. Yeah. And there was Star from Bollards. Yeah, there was there was that. There there was the, the off track issues there. The the you know, the other thing that bothered me about Ricardo's penalty was that he got the penalty when he was deliberately 
deliberately trying to give up a position. Mm-hmm. And they gave him a penalty for it. Yeah. I, 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 I didn't get that. But the, the real big penalties, and you know, there was a lot of penalties that were all for the same thing about Stewart's instructions. Well, yeah, and that's what I was saying at the top of the show. Mm-hmm. These were penalty-heavy stewards. Penalty-heavy stewards, and going back to the same thing, stewards' instructions, as opposed to, you know, normally we see you're getting, a, you know, a warning for exceeding track limits, or you're getting a warning for your driving style, or causing a collision, or something like that. They kept going back to steward standards, mm-hmm. which... which I've never seen that before. And then, of course, the other thing we hadn't seen was the penalty that came down to Lewis Hamilton twice. For the same action, two penalties. It actually wasn't. Was it? So, while I was out this afternoon, I caught up on on BBC. And there was a lot of discussion about this. Um, First of all, what we did not catch, but part of the reason why it it was... the, The penalty was handed out the way it was was Lewis radioed to the team and said, hey, can I do my practice starts further down the pit lane? And we kind of caught the audio message in the Sky Sports coverage, but Bono's response was a firm. So they gave him permission to go up there and do that. Problem number one. Even though it does say very clearly in the stewards' instructions, you're supposed to be doing these practice starts in the practice start box and not stopping in the fast lane, Mm -hmm. which is what he did. Oh, okay. But the reason why he got the penalty twice was because he did it twice. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's why he got the two penalties. Um... Honestly, I, I think Lewis and the team were really lucky because I fully expected them to do a drive-through. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he got the 10-second time penalty that they could take whenever, I, I think he was lucky that he got off the way he did. Um, you know, over at the BBC, they were like, "Well, you know, maybe they should have given him the a, a reprimand and just moved on." But I don't know. You, you look at where he was and the fact that the for every every driver that was coming out of the pits, he was past the point where they could accelerate and they couldn't see him until they started accelerating and it was it was a dangerous place for him to be doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I didn't really understand and, and I thought the penalty was well deserved was they do practice starts at every race. They know where the, the practice start box is. So what is this idea of you're going to do a practice start somewhere else? <laughs> Where does that come from? I don't know. The mind of Lewis is a complicated beast. It's not just Lewis, though. The team should have known this. I, I can't answer. You're looking at me like you expect yeah. an answer. I can't. I, I know. I, I, when I talk to him this week, I'll ask. Well, the thing is... Everybody that I've listened to, every story I've read, everybody's reaction has been, um, yeah, this was totally justified. The notes come out and they say, this is where the practice start box is. That's where you do your practice starts. Not 
40 feet down the pit lane, not somewhere, you know, three quarters of the way down. No, you do it in the practice pit start box. Nowhere else. You, you, you ran afoul of that. You get a penalty. You ran afoul of it twice. You got two penalties. Lewis, at least in the coverage that we have seen so far, and maybe after both Mercedes and Lewis have had a chance to think about their actions. Sit on the naughty step. Something like that. They might rethink this. However, Lewis's reaction, this is what really bothers me. He didn't just say that, that he thought that the penalty was, was ridiculous, which he did. And, and that it was unjustified and he didn't agree with it and all of that. He did, he did all that. He then went on to say that the Formula One stewards are, quote, trying to stop me. <laughs> really? I, I, that, at that point, it's like, come on. You're on the cusp of breaking a record that they've been hyping left and right. They're really trying to stop you. You're on the, the cusp of matching seven world championships, and they're trying to stop you. Really? I get he's pissed, but come on. Let him be pissed. He'll back it up. He'll he'll walk it back. He he. At some point, he probably will. But. Yeah, he needs it's... to go have his heart-to-heart with Bono. He needs to have a heart-to-heart with Toto. Why do all the Mercedes people that he talks to have an O consonant O in their name? Bono, Remember, Bono is... is it's nickname. Bonington. Yeah, it's, it's nickname. But it's all... All the, all the, all the names are... <laughs> but Toto, even... Bono. Even Toto Wolf says he doesn't... He called the penalty far-fetched. Mm-hmm. He said the... The errors always happen together. It's not a team error. It's not a Lewis error. And I wouldn't want to point at anybody, and I've never done that. Ron Meadows and I were at the stewards. The verdict was he wasn't in the right place. There's no mention of what the right place is in the director's note, nor is it in the regulations. So we disagree on that one. We agree to disagree on that one. And then he, and, and I didn't, I don't know where he, he, this statement came from the other one was not driving at constant speed in the reconnaissance lap and there again it's debatable that i'm not sure what he's talking about there um so i don't yeah the the other thing is just just like with the the pit lane incident last week lewis was the only one that all the other drivers knew hey we have this this start box that's where we do our practice stops or, or practice starts Lewis was the only one who decided to go up there, including Valtteri didn't decide to go up there. I, I kind of could see the annoyance and the frustration over the pit lane closure. Mm-hmm. And, and we talked about that last week of the fact that they were on the outside of the, the turn and he, because this is what they, they teach him, he's looking at the inside, not where that is. I, I get that. And, and, and that I think that reason to be upset. But this one, nah. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't see a justification on his part, or even on Mercedes' part. They should have known this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Now, the one thing the stewards did do, after speaking to the team, after listening to the audio, what they did originally, they also, as part of this penalty, the the penalty that was assessed, they gave Lewis um, 
two points on his super license. Right. And the danger there was that he would have been up to 10 points on his license. Or, and he would have been two points off getting a one-race ban. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would have lasted until I think it was Turkey would have been when they would have dropped off otherwise. Um, the stewards have actually gone back and decided that, no, this was less Lewis's fault and more the team's fault. And as a result, they've removed the, the two points that they originally assessed on Lewis's license and instead have fined Mercedes 25,000 euros. Okay. Which admittedly is really about, you know, the how much they, they, they paid for sodas over the weekend, but still. <laughs> well, I'm not sure because, you know, Lewis doesn't drink soda. The rest of the team. Maybe. Hospitality budget. You know, I mean... It, it's the tea budget. We know it's the tea budget. So, he didn't get penalty points for that. He's got a little more room in that. Honestly, though, it would have been kind of interesting if Lewis himself got a one-race ban. Again, think about that storyline of Lewis potentially losing a title... Because he ends up accumulating so many so many penalty points, he gets a race ban. Now, really, what has bothered me about these penalty points is that you know it's it's not a causing a collision, it's not a racing incident. These are stupid mistakes mm-hmm. that between Lewis and the team, they shouldn't be making. That's what really bothers me about these more than anything else. You know, a driver with this level of experience. You know, on the verge of 91 wins, and you're making these kind of mistakes. I hear you. I mean, they're not Ferrari own goals. They're close, but... I mean, but it could be so much worse. He, It could be Ferrari-level mistakes. It could be. It could be. But at least we didn't have to have James Valls get on the the radio calm Lewis down this time. That we know of. True. That we know of. But James Valls normally gets on the, the radio when he's like really ticked off. Well, it depends on how much Lewis complains. Yeah, true. So what BBC was looking to do this weekend after after qualifying with Lewis on the wrong tires, mm-hmm. um, Palmer suggested that maybe they should run a pool to track the number of times that Lewis came on the radio during the race to complain about his tires and that he had no grip and that they were done because his prediction was that this was going to be one of the all-time highest in that count. (laughs) (laughs) And yet... yet, He he didn't complain about the tires. He pushed harder. I was going to say, and then he said, don't bring me in. Yeah. (laughs) So yet again, we prove that Palmer can't predict anything. I don't know about that, but in this Palmer one... Palmer's not got great prediction records. I mean, I haven't tracked it statistically, but, you know, they make fun of him for how bad his predictions are. They do. Actually, the, and, and did you... I don't know if you heard between the, their post-qualifying conversation. I haven't heard anything from this past race. So there were, there were conversations about, you know, if you if you have a bad qualifying... How you compartmentalize it? Do you, you know, end up going back to your hotel that night and, and having nightmares about performance anxiety and not being able to separate separate it and all of that? And Palmer goes, "Well, no, I would go back to my my um, 
my hotel room and I would have nightmares that um, I would go to the track the next day and the team would do all this work to prep the car and, and fix it, whatever mistake I had made and all of that. And I'd show up, but I wouldn't have my helmet. <laughs> and Jack Nichols goes, oh, well, based on that, I bet now you're regretting voting against the halo. And Palmer goes, what are you talking about? He goes, well, you know, no head protection. Palmer goes, if you don't, if you show up without your helmet, they won't let you race. <laughs> you can't race without a helmet. <laughs> well, yeah. And finally, we got official confirmation as to the fate of the Pink Panthers for 2022 you know that was one of our questions was with racing point becoming aston martin racing would they run pink Mm -hmm. and we don't know if bwt is going to be coming across as a sponsor or not however it was announced officially that aston martin racing will be running in british racing green so on one hand and back when you first told me this I was all, yay, the green's back on the grid. The green's back on the grid. That's going to be awesome. And then you said, but it means the pink goes away. And I went, oh, could somebody else pick up the pink? Well, BWT would have to decide to throw their hat in with somebody else. Yeah. But, I mean, I like having the pink car. I really like having the pink car. But there is something special about seeing the British Racing Green. I mean, we haven't seen a green car on the grid since Caterham. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how they, how they handle this livery. Aston Martin on their sports cars have done some interesting interesting color schemes with the British Racing Green. Oh. Um, with, you know, gradations in color and things of that nature so that the cars still are striking and stand out. So we'll see what happens. That would be really cool. You know, British Racing Green could look pretty cool with pink. I don't know about that. Green and pink is the preppy combination. It was in the preppy handbook. Okay. I was thinking green and gold. Well, that's stock and standard. Yeah. But no. (laughs) On that note. Yeah, I've got nothing else. I've run out. Well, there we go. See, we took a week off. I mean, think how little we would have had to talk about if we didn't take a week off. True. So on that note, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. (laughs) Okay. Are they all gone? Uh, Is is everybody gone? (laughs) Huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay. Phew.